Series two, episode two. <laughs> two. I am Otto, and I'm joined by Rags. Hey there. We're here to talk about music. Uh, we are here to talk about music. We we didn't talk about last time. We talked about this right before the recording. This time we did not do that. Uh, we uh, are going to talk about uh, Thundercat's new album. Um, it is what it is. And um, we're going to talk about Lady Gaga's new album, Chromatica. Um, Regs has people gardening. I've got the air conditioning on because it's 90 degrees. So the audio quality is going to be a little funky this week, but it's fine. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll do our best and su- survive and all. Please yeah. take that phone call out. <laughs> uh, I will take that out. I'm marking that right now so I don't forget it. <laughs> excellent. So yeah, which one do you want to start with? Uh, hmm. So we should make it clear. Chromatica was my pick. Um, yes. The uh, Thundercat was Autumn's pick. Yes. Um, I'm sure we both have things to say about each. But yeah, do you have a do you have a preference? What do you want to jump into? I first? don't. Last time it was, there was like a pretty obvious choice, and this time I feel like both of them are like. I feel like I have equal things to say about both, probably. So I don't have like a strong. Um, I don't have a strong gut reaction about where to start. I'm going to say let's start with Chromatica then, because it's okay. the one that's like more like pop and light and isn't going to involve talking about awful depressing things. Yeah, okay, let's do that. Um, we can get emotionally intense later. Rain on me, rain, rain, rain on me, rain, 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 rain
I'll be your galaxy. I'm about to fly. Rain on me, tsunami. Heads up to the sky. I'll be your galaxy. I'm about to fly. So, um, let's talk about Chromatica. Let's talk about Chromatica. So, who the fuck is Lady Gaga? Uh, well, uh, I'm checking my notes here. She's one of the biggest pop stars of the last ten years? Yes, Um, seems about right. Um, (laughs) so yeah, like, had the, the incredible, like, late, late aughts, early teens pop explosion, biggest pop star on the planet style deal. Slight falter, depending on who you ask, with the the later pop albums like Art Pop, mm-hmm. and then reinvents herself as the like Tony Bennett collaborating R and B crooner. Joanne is a sort of like acousticy, softer pop album. Then I... does a Star Is Born and becomes a like a, a superstar again, and yeah. now she's got her first proper pop album in like half a decade, even or even longer. Yeah, I missed um, Joanne entirely when it came out. I listened to a couple songs from it uh, right after Chromatica just to kind of get like um, an idea of what it was. I hadn't realized it. It's been seven years since Art Pop. Yeah, it's it's been a minute. Yeah, I would I would have guessed like twenty fifteen. Like I knew it had been a while, but Jesus. Yeah, no, no. Like she's she's been on the she's been around the block for 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 a hot minute. It's also, Lady Gaga is also, like, Chromatica is now 12 years into her career, which makes sense when I say it out loud, but is also, like, oh, a lot of pop stars don't have a moment as relevant as Chromatica and A Star Is Born 12 years in, you know? No, 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 no. She's she's figured something out, which is pretty remarkable. Um, Um, And that sort of goes to, like where I, because I'm, I'm the one who sort of, like, brought this album to the group. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, like, exactly how I pitch it in the, like, Carly and Madonna, late in their careers, sort of in that late 90s through early 2000s period, mm-hmm. took pop and house music and sort of smushed them together and came up with this thing that was, at least in the UK, fantastically successful and also, like, really fresh sounding without like giving up the thing that made them sound like Kylie and Madonna. Right. And I kind of feel like that's what Lady Gaga's like nailed. It's that like there is a there is like a house slash pop sound here. And that it's not identical to the thing that was around in the nineties, but it's very close to it. And it's definitely like a reinvention of the thing that she was doing ten years ago. But it still sounds really fresh. And yeah, it it yeah. feels very current. Um, in the way that, like, I feel like a lot of dance music has been, like, getting more and more relevant, um, in, in pop music, or, like, you see more dance music producers in pop music in the last 10 years, and so it feels very of its moment, but it also feels like you could play any of these songs next to songs from Fame Monster, and they wouldn't sound, like, you know, totally out of left field. Like, you can see the progression very clearly. Yeah. 
and, and, and it's almost natural in a sense. Like, I've spent all this time thinking of, like, what are the references for this? Um, Stupid Love is the first single, right? Stupid mm-hmm. Love is a track that, as far as I can hear, it's like, in one sense, it's that big post-disco-y, like, well, sorry, electronic disco sound. And the chord sequence is nicked straight from Don't You Forget About Me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and it's like that super big, brash, brassy synth pop shit from the 80s and at the same time it's like got a sort of like punch to it and the the like with the choppy vocals and stuff like that that feels like oh this could have only been produced in the last couple of years and like that balance of like it is very distinctly old sounds it's it's all the way through like um free woman which is like a, a another track that like i it's not my favorite on the album it's just like a perfect example of it where it's got that like like the er 90s house baseline that classic korg baseline mm-hmm. um and then the the top half of the track sounds somewhere between like a share track from 2000 like the the sort of weird plucks <laughs> and just like the tropical house that has been coming out and dominating the like kaigo slash justin bieber bullshit that has been over over the charts in the last like three or so years and yeah. that like it's really hard to pitch it. Well, no, it's not hard to pitch it. I've named the things that I think that I constantly like, <laughs> grasp for. But it's really unique in that it's definitely not just the new sound. It's like definitely taking elements that are like distinctly either 80s late disco or like classic chart 90s house or that early 2000s like French house invasion of pop music. And like all of them are really interesting, good sounds. And yet it's still really sparkly and lovely and modern. It's also, like, um, to go back to Stupid Love ever so slightly, like, Stupid Love is a song I like, but it's actually maybe, like, lower down on the list of, like, the stuff that I like on this album. But um, Stupid Love is the one Max Martin song on this album. So it's very, like, she's working with Blood Pop on every single song on this album, I'm pretty sure. And Stupid Love is the one where she also brings in Max Martin. It's very easy to imagine, like, okay, we're going to pick out the one that's going to be the big lead single, and we're going to bring in Max for that. Like, we don't need a Max Martin album, but we need, maybe need, like, that little, like, like get this to number the, one touch, you know? Salt, salt Bay, Crooked Wrist, d- Dazzle a Bit of Umami <laughs> Powder all over the single. Right. Right. Which is, um, I think, better than, like, um, I don't know, a lot of... Pop artists I like have worked with Max Martin in the last couple years. Um, uh, either are working with Max Martin or are kind of defining themselves as the person that's not working with Max Martin. See, yep. see also Lord. Um, but like, I it, it's really nice that this album has the Max Martin song, but it is not a Max Martin album. It is also not an anti-Max Martin album. Yeah, no, it's like definitely carved out a niche that is like properly distinct from the stuff that's like like currently in vogue in a way that's mm-hmm. like it, it's like in dialogue with it and in counterpoint to it without being like completely off the deep end or yeah i'd like it like out of step which is just good um and then like blop up are just good um they have mm-hmm. nailed a couple of these tracks so like rain on me was the single that came out just before the album dropped it might so be one good. of my tracks of the year it, i think it's it might so be one good. of my tracks of the year oh my god I, um, I think uh, Ariana Grande, um, I'm not always sold on her as an artist, but I think, like, she she's one of my favorite, like, singers and vocalists of the current era, um, and, and 
I think the way that she she can do very like traditional maybe like like Mariah Carey ish vocals against like Lady Gaga has um a bit of her own like unique thing and I think they play off each other's perfectly on this song. It's so yeah. good. And and it's really notable that like how Steva ended up being the answer for both of them in different ways that like right. you end up with like the powerhouse and the high flyer and those are two different roles that each of them can take on and that they nail perfectly and it works together and oh so good and then i just want to gush about all the little production things which is like um the the like the sharpness of the piano like so many of these new the like new incarnations of piano sounds are always like too grand or taken from this like people don't know how it's meant to be plastic and yet good mm-hmm. and they found like the older style the more sharp style of being plastic and good mm-hmm. and then um like the same same goes for the strings there is a way of doing plastic that is also good which this nails and yeah. then just like they they've nailed that french house sound like how washy and phaser covered that the synth parts are the like the like tightness and the the, the like almost muffled quality to the percussion and the and the just the the energy it's got and the the little flourishes and uh, <laughs> uh i am just listening to a bit of it bit it now and like mm-hmm. songwriting is so good um but yeah like the interesting thing is, like, Rain On Me is, like, meant to be this, like, big cathartic, like, expression of, like, survival through pain and suffering. And, like, mm-hmm. the story behind it is, like, Lady Gaga's had a shit time of it. She's, like, like got a chronic pain condition. I don't know if it's chronic pain or chronic fatigue or whatever. Um, like, she's had a, a been churned through an industry that's very, very hostile to her trying to do her thing. Ariana Grande's had a her own very well-publicized, like, relationship and and like emotional issues in public she had a bomb fucking go off in a concert in manchester a couple years ago like these are two women at the height of the pop industry who have been through shit and they come out with this sort of like exuberant expression of joy and like power through it and the lyrics are like in for the most part utterly meaningless except that like (laughs) the vague sense of like power through it is just like very adequately communicated by the whole thing that there are all sorts of moments in like the very first verses i didn't ask for a free ride i only just uh, i only asked you to show me a real good time i never asked for the rainfall and then this line which is like slightly clumsy but it's one of those lines that tells me that like they, they wrote these lyrics and were like nope they might be slightly clumsy but they have to get shoehorned in at, uh-huh. at least i showed up you showed me nothing at all and that weird pr- stress patterning is a thing that, like, there are all sorts of points of this album where I feel like they did this lyrics and songwriting in such a way that, like, we actually have emotions to communicate and it doesn't matter if we, like, leave some slightly raw edges in because it's important that we keep the lyrics, like, on point for the actual emotional sentiments that we want to communicate. Right, and, and like, this... It helps to add to the feeling of, like, this is... This is not like the the studio was like, hey, it's been seven years, put out another pop album. This feels like Gaga is like at a point where she's like, no, I I kind of stepped away, I've kind of reinvented myself, and now I want to come and do a pop album again, and I'm gonna have all the rough edges around it. Um, yeah, and 
I mean, as many rough edges as a pop album has. Oh know? yeah, no, like, th- this is this is ver- an incredibly immaculately produced album. But at the same time, there it's particularly with the lyrics and the cadences in the lyrics. It's like there are so many little moments where it's just like there is there is just that like slight weirdness and stress that comes about by like having written some lyrics and needing to shoehorn them into the vocal part, mm-hmm. but just knowing that those both, both are correct, but they don't match up perfectly, but it's like fine because it communicates the right thing. Well, and I've um, always thought the like, cause Gaga as far back as fame monster has those um, moments where she's like speaking in a pretty low pitched voice Mm-hmm. And I've always thought that's, like, one of the roughest edges that they just let go in a pop song. And it is, like, the thing that makes her, like, stand out above, like, just about anyone else, like, who's coming out in 2010 and 2008 when she was coming out. I've always loved that, like, ways that she, like, will do not quite a spoken word segment, but she'll speak a line. And it, like, I've always loved that. And it it's on this song. And it's good. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um, and again, like you, the, the immediate reference for me for that is like Madonna and Vogue, and like, oh yeah. Again, it's it's again you. It's very hard to say that like ah oh, the Halcyon days when Madonna's Vogue was what was on the pop charts when that's also like, not I'm not going to say entirely just a theft, but it's also like a, an appropriation or reappropriation of of a sort. But like there is clearly a lineage of like how to present like pop music and like a certain kind of personality in dance and pop music. They're just like, uh, it's really at the surface and it really works. Um, I also just wanted to very briefly touch on something about the Rain On Me music video, which was that um, uh, you can tell which one of these women has black friends and gay friends and which one of these has black gay stylists. Yes! <laughs> oh my god! This oh. music video is fucking incredible! <laughs> oh, one of them is about life. this shit and one of them is not <laughs> she tries hard okay give us some give us some credit i mean like right after i watched the uh raid on me music video uh it auto played the seven rings music video and it's the same thing but i think the seven rings music video she carries it better yeah, ariana I does i don't know for some reason like i w- this just sold it for me like th- again it's a it's very much a sort of like a <laughs> if this isn't how can I put it? There is a sort of like way of doing these sort of hyper choreographed videos and like we almost forget how common choreography in pop music is and like as mm-hmm. a K-pop person I am very used to like critiquing things on the level of choreography and it's weird to slip back into western pop music that goes back to that old like aught style of choreography is a thing that you do in pop music. It's mm-hmm. like genuinely slightly uncanny. But like the just the sort of like attitude for both of them is there even if it's like in some ways very natural and in some ways very like unnatural and forced but like it, it feels like the the ethos and the attitude is there for both of them and i'm just grateful for that mm-hmm. um I'm trying to think of like what else are like my favorite songs on this album oh yeah the, if you wanted favorite songs i could just like yeah machine gun fire you so alice alice is like so there's three like interlude tracks called Chromatica One, Two, and Three that lead into the opener, which is Alice, lead into Nine on One, and then the sort of weird magnum opus sign from above. Um, Alice is one where it's just like this is another one of those tracks where they nailed the production for a very like iconic moment, which is that again like early two thousands chart house, mm-hmm. and. Um, 
it's just got this sort of like wonderful soundness in the cor- chorus from that like uh all, all the mm, I, I don't want to get into like doing harmonic analysis it's kind of pointless but just there's a sort of like s- bittersweetness to the the songwriting that i really enjoy and all the just like the pull and push of the synths because of that like classic french house production is just like really really addictive to me um I do want to call out um, Plastic Doll, which is a weird track. It's the Skrillex mm-hmm. track. It's the Skrillex-produced track. Mm-hmm. It's it's really weird having an album that's so house, because house generally means, particularly in this French house style, it's a lot about filtering and a lot about like, sort of like emphasis in the mid-range, that like either it's full spectrum and really impactful, or you turn the filter down. French house is otherwise known as filter house for a reason. You turn the filter down, have this sort of like really full, like throaty mid-range, and that's the the like the sounds that makes Rain On Me so addictive to me is that like phaser covered, filter covered mid-range. Skrillex hates mid-range. Skrillex will chop all the mid-range out so you have like hissy high end and sub bass and that is it. And that's the thing he does. And it's really weird having a Skrillex track in this context. And it's like, it's a testament to how good the production is everywhere else that it like becomes really distinctive when people try do different things. Um, But yeah, so like, just having a track that is this like new bassy style thing mm-hmm. it's just a really nice change up I don't think it's like in keeping with the the entirety of the rest of the album but that's fine because who needs literally the same thing every track um, yeah but it's got a punch to it uh, that sort of like really choppy like heavy deep punch that I I appreciate do you have you ever listened to any other Blackpink stuff no I'm not really familiar with Blackpink Okay, so Blackpink are basically the biggest K-pop girl group in the world. Okay. Um, so, like, if you if BTS are, like, the boy group you blew up, um, Blackpink are, like, not quite as big in the US, but, like, they were the first K-pop group to play Coachella. Um, if you want to deep dive into Blackpink, the last Stan Ontology episode was about their single whistle. Um, <laughs> small little inevitable plug there. Um, they're basically the only group that can match BTS's YouTube view numbers. That's sort of like the headline about them. Okay, okay. They're a, they're a really like good, badass girl group. They, they generally make those sort of like overblown like dance hip-hop tracks. I'm trying to think of what would be a a point of reference in Western pop music, and I'm like actually stumbling. Uh, I don't know. Taylor Swift's bad, um, uh, bad blood. Okay. So, like, making a career out of those like pop, like hip hop slammers. Right, right. Um, and it's really annoying because they're very good on other styles of music, and putting them on this <laughs> sort of like very understated house track is actually a really good move and they've got the like the attitude to carry it off um which i'm a massive fan of yeah and then, i feel um, like i've heard this beat on like a hundred songs and i always love it yeah it, you absolutely have it's like deep house is a thing that came and went and has left mm-hmm. its mark on all of pop music mm-hmm. good i could literally pick out like oh what are the other ones a thousand doves because that's just like my heart is my heart is open, my soul is lifted, my crops are watered, my skin is moisturized. <laughs> that's absolutely the sentiment I get from that track. And then Babylon, which is I don't even know what to say about it because it's only three three minutes long and it somehow feels like the sort of like nine minute opus that should end a ludicrous concept album with like ridiculous sax parts and choirs and all that. And somehow it's short. 
but in in my head it's like a nine minute track it's very well it's uh, it's so funny because it comes after sign from above which is yeah, that track that is that is just that track um i have to give a shout out to sign from above for random drum and bass for the last 30 seconds that took me for a complete loop um just like yeah okay fine we're going with the just increasing the bpm by 50 it's a thing that's happening okay let's go for it oh yeah um, i forgot about this i i listening to the song now and i skipped to the last 30 seconds like oh right <laughs> yeah just that was random um yeah god um this was it was weird um and just go back into the bit of the just whole album discussion things um mm-hmm. i like this album dropped what date exactly um it was May, like end of May, and yeah. that was like one hundred percent exactly when George Floyd was killed by Minneapolis police, and every like everyone's attention and like headspace was completely taken over by like current events and the politics. Um, and it was very weird trying to like figure out how to engage with this album, and then I realized it was a sort of almost like necessary corrective. Not that, mm-hmm. like it's very weird. Like you come and engage with all these albums in very different ways, and not like I, I shot out a tweet just as it was happening that like I was revisiting Kendrick albums, I was revisiting D'Angelo albums, being like this was the stuff that last time around when the world kicked off, well, when specifically police violence was the only thing that anyone was concentrating on and talking about, and like people were putting their bodies on the line in in street protests. These mm-hmm. were the albums that like explains themselves to me and the word like relevant for that context mm-hmm. and for some reason chromatica like not to say that this is anything meaningful to say about these issues but it absolutely became one of those albums that i like lent on as like a okay how do you emotionally process an incredibly like overwhelming moment to just like get uh, a like a sense of joy in communal like poppy expression and that like that feels right. like one of the most like whitewashed liberal bullshit takes but i have to like say it because it's absolutely true right very very necessary corrective moment like we we can clown on like i'm I'm sure pitchfork has run something about chromatica being like what we needed in this moment but like Uh, yeah there's also like i have spent six hours today looking at the news about like uprisings and looking at the news about uh you know coronavirus and I'm just going to immerse myself into like I was listening to some I was listening to a shoegaze album last night and then I listened to Chromatica this morning and there was almost like a similar quality of like this music right now is everything I can't like it is enveloping me it is um like like I am just in this space it's not like you know the Thundercat album I can kind of like read tweets while I'm listening and, and talk to my friends and it's like a fun hangout album whereas like Chromatica is very much like this is everything that I am doing in this moment. Yeah, it's it does sort of like sink into you like that. Which is again like it's remarkable that like it's a pop album. These aren't meant yeah. to be able to do that. And yet somehow like this was the sound that we all collectively kind of wanted and needed at this point. Well, and, and it pop album in 2020 where where so many pop albums have 24 songs because they're trying to get on spotify playlists where they want to get as many listens as possible and we know that producers have figured out a good way to get as many spotify listens as possible is to 
blend in to sound just like the other songs so that people can keep hanging out and chatting and, and drinking while they listen. And so, like, to have an album that's like, no, this is the thing that you're doing right now. You're listening to Lady Gaga. You're getting pumped up to Lady Gaga is a very different thing from a lot of, like, other, like, pop stuff coming out right now in a very, like, refreshing way. Yeah. And at the same time, I also know that, like, every pre-drinks for the rest of eternity, Rain On Me will be on that playlist. And probably oh, yeah. a, a bunch of the other tracks as well. And, oh, like, yeah. this is, n like, okay, it's a 16-track album, but there are, like, 13 actual full tracks here with three interludes. It's only 43 minutes. It's, like, mm -hmm. brisk and energetic and just moves. It just like, Remember when pushes. albums were 42 minutes? Remember oh when albums were 42 minutes? <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, I have to say that, that there are all of those... Um, the like we're talking about the rough edges like there are still a bunch of like bizarre clunky moments that are just like but they come across as endearing which is kind of weird i don't know like how lady gaga just sort of earned my goodwill but she absolutely has mm -hmm. um like free woman i mentioned is this sort of like weird trop house track and like trop house is not a genre that i like and respect much but it's still <laughs> kind of just like amusing and funny when i hear it um, 911 is a track that like actually got a lot of traction and I'm not sure why because it's one of the more like slightly wooden ones for me but I'm that's take or leave it I I think 911 is like the the mental health track and so it is going to get some traction in the same way that one song on every like Demi Lovato album is going to get some traction yeah yeah fair enough oh god uh, it, do, it does remind me that like Stupid Love is 100% a cool for the summer successes speaking of Demi Lovato like <laughs> and like that is the Max Martin summer, or like the like over overheated summer banger with the the mm -hmm. chugging disco bassline. Like we need one of those at least every year, two at the most, and we got one. We got we got God. That I, I looked that up a little while ago. That was a 2015 track, and I'm still thinking about it. God. Um, oh my God! I would have guessed 2018. Yeah. Um, oh my but, God. Um, but yeah, no, we had that uh, like. I'm just trying to think what other the never really over the Katy Perry track remarkably like mm -hmm. I know it's Katy Perry but that became one of those like chugging post disco bangers for me and then like stupid love fits exactly in that um, you know I was actually thinking about Katy Perry right when we started this because I was trying to think of other pop stars who got their start in like 2008 to 2010 mm -hmm. and if you'd asked me in 2011 who I thought would still be around I'm like oh well Katy Perry will still like be relevant in 2020 and, and Lady Gaga like oh she's just weird and quirky and like we'll all get tired of that and she'll go away and she's been able to like stay relevant and reinvent herself and also be the person that she is whereas Katy Perry is like I don't know Teenage Dream is still a great album but <laughs> yeah it's, it's interesting like it, it's almost worth the counterpoint there because Swish Swish was a single. Swish Swish happened, and that was nominally. Don't remind it, me that Swish that Swish a, happened. Um, <laughs> that was a house track. That was literally just trying to do this, and it had none of the personality. It had none of the the like understanding of what the purpose of the music was for. It like it took those house sounds because it enabled them to do that like. Like, you know how all pop music wet took that, like, dark turn as, like, Trap got interesting and uh -huh. The weekend came around and Lord came around and, like, everyone, like, 
Katy Perry had Dark Horse and that was her like turn to making dark singles. And then I think they just sort of figure out that like, oh, uh, if we want to be dark, but also danceable, Deep House, that's a, that's a sound we can make. It's just that it took absolutely none of the like spirit or energy that was meant to come with it, which was a sort of like, either a sort of like clubby menace and like a, like a sexiness or the sort of like joyous exuberance and the, the like, mm-hmm. the like, the, the like gay night party club club experience thing um I, and that like I, both of them are on this album in like spades and just uh-huh. uh it's annoying when people fail it completely <laughs> i like Katy perry more than most people if only because i like teenage dream as an album a lot swish swish might is in my like top 10 worst songs of the decade at oh, the very like top 10 that's... worst pop songs maybe uh, uh, rule for me. I'd like, I, I, I don't want to turn this into just the Trash and Katy Perry episode, but rule. <laughs> rule was bad. Oh, rule was, like, offensive. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, there was a moment I distinctly remember where my, my little cousin, uh, got a copy of a Katy Perry album for Christmas, and I was, like, doing, as the person who is, incapable of suppressing their disgenuine emotions. It was very hard for me on Christmas day, not to tell my young cousin that the album that she wanted and asked for and then got was trash. <laughs> Rory is also like the epitome of like, um, straight songs that are like, like have a plausible deniability of gayness about them so that mm. people will play them in movies. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm absolutely saying that. That's not good. Um, but yeah, Lady Gaga, plausible bisexuality pervades. Yeah. Um, I it's... thought, I thought for a second there's a line on um, Plastic Doll about being in a pink box, and I like I had to back up for a second and like read the lyrics there because I was like, wait, is this? Oh, this isn't a gay song. This is just like her talking about like pop stardom, which makes sense. But I was just like, oh, pink box? What? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I th- <laughs> It is absolutely another one of those tracks where, like, there are um, there are all those like clumsy lyrical things. The <laughs> the techno babbly plastic technologic was like, um, mm-hmm. I've referenced this on other K-pop podcast, uh, another episode of Soundology. That like that is one hundred percent like techno babble taken out of a K-pop track. To like, what in there would be like the exciting? Ah, oh, yeah, we're so te- techno futuristic. Look at us with our crazy visors and our polyurethane pants and hell yeah and this is like <laughs> ironic and sad and and all of that and just just something about it completely cracks me up but also works which is fantastic yeah plastic doll is a good one even if it, it is extremely biscrelix one <laughs> yeah um yeah and then just like there are a bunch of tracks like the second off the album enigma replay where i like that's like people can have their opinions about that i like those are plausible skips, sometimes not, depending on my mood, but like, mm-hmm. I just find it, Replay is a rager. Replay is like a, a mid part of the, the night, like, <laughs> the fact that it's so on, it's just like very on and stays on the whole way through because uh-huh. like, um, it's all about like screaming vocal samples that um just like, don't fucking let up. And like, <laughs> if anyone wants like this but actual, like this but actual dance music, 
floor plan is a father son um uh production duo um robert hood and his daughter who i don't actually know her name um but they make like heavily gospel inflected techno and it's it's not exactly like you can just say oh lady gaga made a techno track she didn't it's a it's a mm-hmm. it's a housey pop track it's just that it's got that sort of like overbearing intensity and like wide-eyed like whatever wide-eyed wideness like you, it, i could very much imagine myself unsurprised when this comes on at like 3am and i'm pinging basically that's what i'm trying <laughs> that's what i'm trying to get at i shouldn't talk around it too much um uh, but i think i kind of said everything i had to say like this is you, we were talking a little bit last night um because i was also trying to find something to talk about in the next episode like i need pop artists to put out anything interesting and then i listened to this this morning and i was like oh my god Pop up, about it. Pop artists put out something interesting. Look at that. How about that? Yeah, it, there's something about it, like, just, like, having picked both the sort of mood and tone and that it, the way it was going to nail that mood and tone was, like, an update to early Ort's house is just, like, a a really wonderful breath, breath of fresh air given how, again, this is, like, all oh, music sounds the same these days. It's just that, like, no one's sounding specifically like this. She found a mm. niche. She nailed that niche. Um, yeah. And I'm so glad it exists because there are like, this is a wonderful album with a couple of like genuine modern classics on it, which I will love forever. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm going to have rain on me on my playlist for a long time. <laughs> yes, exactly. So is it about time to move on to Thundercat? I guess so.
this is the new Thundercat album for 2020. Um, for people who might not know, I'm gonna pull up the Thundercat bio real quick so I can make sure I have some years right, because I have a lot of this in my head, but... Um, so yeah, Thundercat um, is an LA jazz scene guy. I don't think his uh, solo work sticks, sticks strictly to jazz in the way that like some people he collaborates with, but like that's where he comes from. And so he's um, collaborates with Flying Lotus a lot. He com collaborates with Kamasi Washington a lot. Um, like he's just one of these LA jazz guys that everybody like. Um, Everybody knows Thundercat, everybody knows Kamasi, everybody knows Flying Lotus now because of Topimpa Butterfly. Like, let's all be honest with ourselves, we weren't <laughs> tuned into L.A. Jazz before 2015. <laughs> um, Topimpa Butterfly, Kendrick, like, puts all these guys on the album, um, Untitled Unmastered, they, they do more of this, um, and after, um... You know, after Untitled Unmastered and Pimp a Butterfly, uh, in 2017, Thundercat put out Drunk, which is, I'd have to check, but, like, maybe my favorite album of 2017. It's got, like, just a bunch of classics. It's, um, like, 23 songs long, and it, it is 51 minutes long, and it's just, like, it's a lot to handle sometimes, <laughs> and it's yeah. got songs that sound like, like, like Mario Kart songs, and it's got songs that sound like, like Parliament songs. It's got it, it, Thundercat's a very eclectic dude. Drunk feels like a mission statement. I haven't listened to his earlier work. I know some people don't like it as much as Drunk. Um, and he now he's back. Twenty twenty. It is what it is. With kind of in some ways Drunk too. I think uh, like it doesn't feel like a mission statement in that album mission statement the way that that album did but i really like this one um and i'm excited to get into it yeah um, so that like i think there are a couple of big bio things that like are important so like yeah bio is exactly right like people particularly flylo had a had like a couple breakout releases before to be butterfly is a producer yeah flylo like, is definitely like guy who people knew before yeah butterfly. and his label is brain feeder and that's the sort of like label to put out a lot of the this sort of scene stuff it's a really good label definitely please check it go check it out if you're looking for more stuff yeah. in this vein um but yeah so like this whole like la scene thing really does culminate in to butterfly and like if when you read listen to that album, trying to listen for the bass lines, it becomes instantly clear how distinctive Thundercat sound is. Yes, yes. That Thundercat, said, like, oh, well, just to briefly say, like, like, you know, Kamasi, Flying Lotus, like, all these other musicians here, like, have pretty unique sounds. But like, the first time that you're listening to Drunk and you hear like the way that Thundercat plays bass, you instantly can identify every moment from Tempest Butterfly that he's on, like he really speaks up for himself with the bass in like a really interesting way i think yeah and it's just an opportunity for me for me to say um untitled five on untitled unmastered is still one of my like all-time favorite rap tracks because of that maybe the um, best kendrick song th that bass line oh my word um so that that's a like old shout out the other big bio note though is another guy who was in this la scene was matt miller um who sadly yeah. died from an overdose in 2019, I think, maybe? Not sure. I think maybe 2018. I gotta check yeah. real quick. Um, um, yeah, September 2018. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, like the vague, weird, tangential link between Ariana Grande from both this album, these albums. But yeah, so Mac was like a close friend of Thundercats. Thundercat was one of the people who headlined the sort of memorial concert. And in a lot of ways, it is what it is, is like pitched as a, as a sort of like memorial and um, like tribute album to Mac as much as it is like a original project for Thundercat. Um, mm. Which I, I like clearly that doesn't devalue the work in any way. It's just like, it's important that I think that's like a, the when you, when I've read interviews with him, it feels like that was such a monumental moment in his life that mm. it like absolutely colored the way that he was both songwriting the sort of intention behind everything. And the, the the like, the the like vibe that that got, gets captured in the album as a whole, as well as the very explicit references that come on like Fair Chance and is, it is what it is. Yeah, um, I think like we're probably in the middle of a of a wave of kind of like albums that are kind of dedicated to Mac Miller. Um, Mac was involved in the LA rap scene and the LA jazz scene in like pop music through the from through dating ariana grande like there are a lot of people whose lives he touched because he was he was like the dude who owned the house that everybody came to record in and so like um yeah like you can definitely like feel like the ripples of that through a lot of music in 2020 and 2019 yeah absolutely um Um, but no, this is still very much like a Thundercat record in that like, yeah. you called it drunk too. Like the tonal shifts are interesting. Like if I had to try and pick them out, it's like there are fewer throwaway tracks. There are fewer comedy tracks, but there's yeah. still, there's, there are still a couple of like silly skits and slightly unhinged moments. Um, mm. At the same time as it's just like a bit more focused and a bit more song written in places, which I think is like a good thing. It feels like Thundercat knows how to like, do the ridiculous jazz fusion harmonic craziness. Oh, that's a phone call. Give me one second. Gotta meet myself. Yeah. I'll vamp while uh, Regs is doing that. Um, yeah, like kind of Regs was saying, like there were a lot of comedy tracks um, on Drunk. This one feels more focused. It's only 15 songs instead of 23. It's only 37 minutes instead of 51. Um I, it was almost disappointing for me in a way. I think maybe, like, that's the thing that I wanted from him. And I think the only time he... There's a there's a skit where there's a... there's a I don't remember what song it's on, but there's a skit where, like, a, a pilot is talking about Thundercat getting uh, head in the front row. <laughs> and there's also Dragon Ball Do-Rag, which has a very goofy music video. Um... Which, like, I was almost disappointed that it's not as funny. The more I listen to it, the more that I'm appreciating this project for what it is. Um, Especially, um, I don't know how to say this word, Black Qualls, which is kind of... Which is kind of just like a straight up like Parliament song, like a straight up like George Clinton song, which is the first song on the album that I just like unabashedly, I'm fucking here for this shit. Yeah, very very good track. Um, back now, yeah. Oh my god. So the the, the I ha- I was just like, uh, sloppy toppy is just like a, such a wonderful combination of words to say. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I cannot remember which is that overseas. It's overseas. Yeah, it's that the song's of, on. overseas. Um, 
What up, uh, bro? Th- there's, there's a shiny black man getting some sloppy toppy in first class. <laughs> He's talking about his chains so much on this album, which are oh not God. present on Drunk, but th- like th- his chains are a new character on this album that I really fell in love with. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, Dragon Ball Durag is just hilarious. It's such a good track. Um, uh-huh. Dragon Ball Durag, the bit is just like, he's got a Durag, he's got chains, and when he's making love to his girl, he's keeping them on. <laughs> the music video is very good too, because he does have a Vegeta chain on. <laughs> yeah. And just sort of like doing some incredible dance moves near some uh-huh. some cool people, and one of the Heim sisters falling for him and us. No, oh, good. is that one of the sisters? You're right. It's it's time. Yeah, it is. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? LA's a city, man. I guess so, yeah. Um so yeah, like there are there are some of those like incredible ludicrous moments. Like the just the Dragon Ball Durag is an incredible track on its own. Like it is one of those it's a perfectly pitched funk track. Mm. As well as being this like ludicrous ludicrous setup. But there are, like, tracks like Miguel's Happy Dance or something like that, which are, like, they are two minutes long. Um, They've got, like, a singular idea. It's often, like, about, all about, like, doing this, like, crazy jazz fusion-y, all-over-the-place harmonic stuff with a ton of technical bass work and that's, like, just as much impressive as it is, like, really fun and hooky to listen to. That, like, this is, like, direct sequel to tracks like Uh Uh-Uh on um, Drunk and things like that which are like less about the songwriting and more about the just like the tone and the ability to have this the zappa like stuff on the album. And at the same oh, time like Zappa's a good reference point. I don't know very much Zappa and so oh, I wouldn't have pulled it, but yeah, like that's absolutely the space that he's operating in. Yeah, yeah, it's so what I remember going back all the way to Drunk, he kept talking about Zappa as a sort of like influence for the sort of sensibility that he comes at the, the like process of putting together an album with. It's just that like there are more longer tracks here. There are more tracks that are like well, at least there are fewer of at least there are fewer of the Zappa two minute skit stuff to mean that like a more of the album is felt in these like three plus minute like long song form written tracks that like often are like darker or more contemplative or more introspective, and it still mm-hmm. doesn't mean it means the album's like just shades slightly more to that darker tone in a way that's still like distinctly Thundercat. It's still got that jazz feel. It's still got the like ridiculous bass playing, but it's just like shaded very slightly towards a sort of more contem- contemplative tone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh. But yeah, there's just... the. I like this album a lot more the more I listen to it. Um, mm-hmm. But there's... I I wish that I had the moment... Um, the The... When I listen to Drunk, like, I can remember... The, the song that Kenny Loggins and Michael McDonald show up on for some reason. I can remember, <laughs> I think I left my wallet in the club. I think I, I remember like so many like little moments. And that was almost the thing, I didn't realize it. That was the thing that I was looking for, was like little like memeable, funny moments mm-hmm. that I don't think he's as interested in doing here. Yeah, totally. Um, it's something that which, just gets like shaved off along with the sort of extra skitty moments, yeah. Right, which means that I kind of have to, like, like I need to kind of approach this thing as its own project, even though 
sonically, I feel like it's operating very much in the same space as that last project. Yeah, so it means that a lot more of the like moments for me are musical moments, if that makes sense, rather mm-hmm. than like cultural or lyrical skit funny moments. So like for me, the, the drum entry on King of the Hill is one of those moments. King of the yeah. Hill, which got put out a few, like a, I think a full two years earlier than the rest of the record. It's like a break. Yeah, this, you know, is the, this is the one that Bad Bad Not Good shows up for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and which it's very Bad Bad it's, Not Good. <laughs> yeah, it's just good band. Um, but yeah, just like that drum entry and the vocal vocal harmony is just like that's one of my moments on this album. I think Dragon Ball Do Rag is one of those tracks. Black Calls is one of those tracks. Um, mm. And then um, Fair Chance. I think just like at this point we sort of got to go to those tracks because like if there are meme moments. It, the, the, it's like actually a whole lot more serious so yeah fair chance has both a tie dollar sign and a little b verse um i gotta say both of them are artists who have like hung around in the background of music that i like and care about but i've never like thrown myself into the way that i know other people have like particularly little b like i know there's so much there yeah i just don't they, know it in the same way that other people do tie dollar sign like makes a career out of being like Featured on stuff. I don't know that anyone's ever listened to a Ty Dolla Sign album. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, like... Good at this, though. I... Yeah, I... This is one of my favorite Ty Dolla, um, like, verses, actually. And, like, I've heard a billion of them. Because um, he's on everybody's album at some point. Um, this is, like, the... I have been aware of uh, Based God since, like, 2008. And I've never really, like, I've never listened to a Little B album. I've never really gotten into them. Because I know that, like, if I do, I'm, like, opening up a wormhole that, like, my entire soul will get consumed by. And this verse was kind of the moment where I was like, this is a good verse, though. I really like what he's doing here. Yeah, yeah, it really is. (laughs) It's, like, slow and contemplative and, like, pained in a way that, like, uh, it hits. It really, really works. What if I'm um, just the only person who listens to gay in 2020? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, the the one little V track that just like plays NLC in the back of my head is Fuck Kevin Durant. Yeah, there's that. And there's the uh, the first one I heard, which is some song about P- PB&J. Like, I get that in my head all the time. He's got, <laughs> if you go to the little B Wikipedia page, he's got a list of feuds he's got. Um, and we've got Joe Budden, Joey Badass, Kevin Durant, and James Harden. <laughs> um, I just love that he's got two feuds with basketball players. I hope Kevin Durant hates his guts. <laughs> I, I hope he does. I hope that one day we find an, another deep level Kevin Durant burner, which is just about posting about Little B. <laughs> um, so good. We are we are a noted uh, pro KD uh, ba- uh, music podcast, but yeah, also we're, also we're, fuck Kevin Durant is a very funny song. <laughs> it's incredibly good. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so this last cluster in the album is like a bunch of very good verses, and like I think some of the musical stuff in Fair Chance is just wonderful. Like the the bass arpeggios yeah. are just stunning. I love those. That's one of the things that riff just gets stuck in my head. And then there's sort of like a transition through existential dread to it is what it is, which is like, uh, it's weird. This is like existential dread is a track that I wish was three minutes long and song written out because what is here is incredible. But the purpose of it is to be this like little moment of like respite of pop respite until you get to like the first couple sections of it is what it is. 
mm-hmm. which is one of the like he's done this a couple times where there are like these incredibly like perfectly formed motifs that you get the that like <laughs> motif from drunk that comes in right, right the be- uh, right at the beginning and then back again at DUI. Um, right. And that that's like a sort of statement for the, for, for the album. And then like, I sort of get this like sense of this, like very old school, almost like bossa novary, like very old smooth jazzy feel to this, to this section. And it is what it is. And that just yeah. like, what happens afterwards is like, you realize that no, this isn't just a skit. This is like the sort of like very upfront statement that gets flipped into this like stunning guitar led track. And this was one of those moments that like actually really fucking got to me because like mm-hmm. it just sort of like puts the Mac stuff like front and center says, Hey Mac. And then here's a song for and about you and the space I get left in. Yeah. Um, I think it also like, I think it speaks well to like his ability as like a musician and not just a bass player because like the first part of this really feel like it was written for, um guitar more than bass um Mm -hmm. and like that's not an impossible transition to make but like to be writing songs for an instrument that's not like your instrument that you're always associated with like he's not just the guy who's gonna play bass on the kamasi album and be amazing like he is also like an artist unto himself and and a writer unto himself and um yeah uh it is what it is it's like a really I'm listening to it right now. It'll teared up because it's so good. Yeah. And and just again, it's like what usually happens in skits in individual tracks, or what would have happened in skits in individual tracks in Drunk is this in this version is a, like a three plus sections, five minute whole thing that goes through transitions and builds in a way that like mm. is it just experienced differently and like something about the push towards that album format stuff and the like all the little things that you do to the form to communicate something very different. It's like really impressive that it got judged so well. I think it just nails that the the last like third of this album is just like stunning to me. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I think, I think fair chance existential dread. It is what it is. Is like, like such an incredible like stretch of, of stuff. Um, and like, it's also like interesting because that is not, um, I think people think about, like, oh, the first three songs are, like, a really good stretch because it's, like, the intro and then two singles or something. But, like, it's really neat that I think he puts this, like, stretch of, like, the good stuff at the back half uh, or at the last three songs. Um, I think Earl Earl did that same thing with some rap songs, which is also a little bit of a Mac album, I think. Like, more about his parents, but, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, so I have a very specific thing, which is our, the distinct memory of listening to the very last track on some rap songs, which is Riot, which is a, yeah. basically a flip or like, like a, how can I describe it? Almost a chopped and screwed thing, but like a like a latter day chopped and screwed version of a um, of a Hugh Masekela track, and that's a track that I know and love. Uh, Hugh Masekela being one of the like greats of South African jazz. Um, mm. If you this is getting towards a diversion, but it's like, I think a good parallel. Um, Hugh Masekela died very closely to uh, uh, Al's own dad, who is um, uh, 
Carap- uh, Carap- uh, God, what's his name? Ah, oh, there it is. Kerapete Kotitsile. Kotitsile is like one of the like great poets of South African, of like modern South African literature. Um, just complete coincidence that Al's son. Um, there are mentions of like that he was a poet and all that, and references to like what expectations that puts on him. In um, I don't like people, um, but just, mm. just that's some background for it. But this yeah. album was very much just like how do you deal with that guy's legacy? And then like the idea that Hugh Masekela is also like huge father figure for him, like personally, as well as just like one of the other big icons of like South African import into like uh, black American music and particularly black American music that focused around like emancipation and joy and finding that. And that he also died. And that there's like this moment, this like head spinning moment of reaching this Hugh Masekela track finding it just deconstructed in front of me and just being completely sideswiped by it was a very like similar feeling to what I got with the sort of just like singular Hey Mac in the middle of it is what it is, which is just like, yeah, that's very explicit. Are you going anywhere with it? And where he goes with it is just like two and a half minutes of just like beautifully expansive, like fusion jazz. And like, that's his tribute and that's the way he wants to present it. And that's just like a, a really special way of doing it. Um, well, and, and to to tie things back a little bit, like um, um, Earl talked a lot about in the run up to um, some rap songs about wanting to make a jazz album, about wanting to make like a black album, um, mm-hmm. and like I, this intersects with my feelings about Thundercat generally um, as sort of a like Thundercat for me has been like the genesis of a lot of my interest in jazz music. I, I've listened to some Miles Davis, I've listened to some other stuff, but like um Thundercat being like a more recent thing that I can like immediately latch onto has been um like tremendous for me. And so um I was building to a point and I totally lost my train of thought. But yeah, like um I think it's interesting to if you think about some rap songs and it is what it is, um together like they're both they are both jazz albums and they're both like express the like expansiveness of the genre in 2020 i think a lot of like i think a lot of people who don't know much about jazz might like think that it is kind of all miles davis-y uh and i think like there's absolutely space for both but like yeah there's there's like figuring out what we mean when we say something like a black avant-garde tradition and that mm-hmm. that now really does include things like both chopped and screwed as a concept, but like Ull's deployment of it for this like, right. like dense, really complex, really emotionally devastating rap album. And that like all those elements, like chopped and screwed rap, and then like the inheritance of like African jazz are all there just as much as like fusion and like oh, the very obvious like jazz tradition is in Thundercat. And then Thundercats mm-hmm. obviously got all the funk and um, funk and whatever feeding in as well. But like they feel like of a part in the sort of like building out of a of like what we call like a black avant garde tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, I also I've also just always loved um, Thundercat for like like um, I don't know I don't want to sound like I'm stepping out of my lane so maybe I won't say this too much but like. Like, 
I enjoy when when black masculinity in music is not like one thing. Like Dragon Ball Durag is a very different idea about black black masculinity than like all pop music that is like a constant like masculine um like hyper masculine like I don't I don't even know how to describe it. Um I enjoy when like masculinity can be expressed in like different ways that yeah. is not the one way that it is in pop music totally totally no i i, I get what you mean um the, i mean like the the, uh, the thing that of his style that i want to nick is wearing the like eva clips the eva hair clips <laughs> which i absolutely want to do at some point that's just a thing that is cool and good in his fashion it's sense good. um yeah so i'm just thinking like if you are after more of the skitty nonsense have you listened to much lewis cole no i haven't i actually like as I was listening to this, I was like, I should find out more about him. <laughs> so, Lewis Cole is also half of Noah, who, like, inter- YouTube famous internet fusion-y electronic band that is the, like, smash of words that I'm going to throw at you. Um, okay. So, like, um, they make, like, they're also on Brain Feeder as a label, um, as well as Lewis Cole's solo record. Um, I think there's a Jennifer Vartadi, who's the other half of Noah. She's got a solo record coming soon as well. They make, like, much more electronic, but also, like, this, uh, the more skitty space of, like, comedic, fun, lighthearted, exuberant, um, like, fusion-y jazz pop music. Um, okay. I think there's, like, absolutely stuff in the, stuff in that record for you if you're looking for more of the, like, silly, exuberant, fun stuff. So Time was the solo record that was out in 2018, and then Noah's got, like, a... Uh, an entire discography full of um, ridiculous, excellent pop tracks. Okay, yeah. The, here, if you go to Lewis Cole's uh, Wikipedia page, the first picture of him is of him at VidCon, which tells me a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my word! Uh, wait, no, hang on. No, that's a wrong, is, wrong no. Lewis Cole. That's about an English okay. vlogger. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at him, and I I saw. I saw the dreads and I was like, okay, it must be the right guy. And then I kind of looked at him like, mm, no, different. No, no. <laughs> so no. Just a white um, guy in dreads. <laughs> yeah, so there, there is a combo Lewis Cole and Noah, whatchamacallit, okay. um, Wikipedia page. But yeah, so like, like incredible jazz training. Um, a lot of the, like, he co-song wrote, I think, Jamil Space, is it Jamil Space Bus? Uh, no, wait, Bus on These Streets and Jameel Space Rider, two tracks on um, Drunk that he co-wrote with Thundercat. And then obviously okay. um, does the drums and co-wrote I Love Lewis Cole on It Is What It Is, <laughs> the track that's literally aimed after him. Um, but yeah, so like, if you're looking for more of the like exuberant stuff, I think go there. It's much more electronic. It's much more like EDM, like, f- like, f- like flashy in that sense. Um mm-hmm. There, there are some like choice bits of um like Daft Punk and Nero covers, for example, but um as well as just like some incredible more acoustic lads, um jazz fusion stuff. So yeah, I think you're probably gonna get on with that. Okay, yeah, I'll check that out. Um. So yeah, that's sort of what I've got to say about Thundercat. Another like wonderful Damn. album. I'm not like it's interesting thinking like is this gonna stick in the way that Drunk stuck. And the answer I think is like not quite, but it's close because the songwriting's all there yeah. still. Like there are still like black calls and durag might 
that I don't think they're going to surpass them changes or um, or a fan's mail, but like they're not far off. Like they're right there. They're, they're they're doing the same things and they're hitting the same spots that I like really want and need. You know, like Marcy bought. Um, Marcy's been buying like vinyl records, and she she bought like um, drunk on vinyl pretty recently. And I saw that I was like, damn, I'd love to like have a nice like big box with like drunk and drunk chop, chopped and screwed and um like all that and like this album i don't love in the same way but maybe i don't need to love it in the same way like maybe not every album has to be like you know it does not is, everything is foundational some things build upon what has come before it quite clearly yeah yeah um i like this album a lot even if it's not if even if it doesn't stick with me three years on like the way that drunk did like I like this a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's just really good. Shout out to Mercy. Um, yeah, shout out to Mercy. Is it about time we wrap up? Yeah, I think so. Um, I told you what I wanted to do for our next episode, but I don't think you've told me. Yeah, I don't have a I don't have a definite pick yet, so I'm going to need to okay. maybe sit on this one and think for a little bit. Um, okay. Um, well, if you think, I, think before... I am going to say a thing that has gone around Twitter in the last few days is the um what were your like high school or senior school i am british excuse me um <laughs> what were your what were your high school albums and then like also like what were your university or college university please i'm british um the the like revisiting what was important for what reason is a really interesting exercise and again i don't want to slip back into regs brings a kind of queer kind of electronic album every single week but I might do that at some point. Um, but I'll figure out what that what that pick is going to be. Yeah, I thought about I thought about choosing something older, but there wasn't anything that was just like calling my name right now. So I was kind of poking around. Um, and Carsey Headrest has a new album uh, in twenty twenty. Apparently, Carsey Headrest, if people don't know, did the best rock album of twenty sixteen, maybe the best rock album of the decade. Something. Um, uh With. It's either Teens of Denial or Teens of Style. I can't remember which is... Denial. Uh, denial. Denial's the one. Style's good. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, Car Seat Headrest has a new album um, that I read the description of and am very apprehensive in like an exciting <laughs> way. Yeah. Because either, either this is not going to be good... Or it's gonna be amazing. There's not gonna be an in between. <laughs> no. Oh, I'm just. Uh, I, um, if it's alright to pivot, I know what I want to pick then. Okay, let me finish. Let me read yeah, this yeah. description for the listeners so they'll know. Like, Carsey Headrest, great rock band. Great rock band. Um, according to, to Toledo, the the songs on "Making a Door Less Open," which is their new 2020 album, contain elements of EDM, hip hop futurism, doo-wop, soul, and rock. But underneath all these things, I think they may be folk songs because they can be played and sung in many different ways, and they're about uh, things that are important to a lot of people. Anger, sickness, love, and loneliness and love. And so, I I trust him, and also I'm aware that he's like a 24-year-old white guy who's bringing in elements of hip-hop to his music. <laughs> So we'll is he, see. Is Will Toledo really that young? Yeah, no, he's... I think he's, like, five months younger than I am, maybe. Something, that's, like, ridiculous like that. That's absurd. Christ. Um, I also just, like, shout out for Will Toledo for being consistently harassed on Twitter, <laughs> historically at least, for being a furry. 
Oh, is he a furry? Oh my god! Uh, oh I, my god! I think someone found his fur affinity page and kept like it's just a constant meme now that people throw at Will Toledo his old fur affinity page. I knew he's like kind of like I knew he was gay, but he didn't like make it a big like it wasn't like oh I'm writing gay rock songs. It's just like he's a gay guy. I didn't know he was a furry too. Now I'm like always on his side forever. This this album's gonna be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, I think I know what I want to pick then. Okay. Which is Anoni's Hopelessness. Yes! Yes! Let's go! <laughs> I knew you were going to like that one. Um, 2016 album by um, former frontwoman of uh, Antonina Johnson's transitioned in the mid-2010s, uh, making sort of hyper brash um dancey slash hip-hoppy like ballads for the end of the world mm-hmm. um a super influential artist for me appeared at a really interesting and awkward moment in my life and they're like i think i have a different understanding of now after four or five years of letting it suck into me but one that i still really love and want to talk about I immediately, as soon as you said it, I have thoughts about this album that I want to express, but we'll, we'll do it next time. Exactly. <laughs> Alright, um, that has been it for Season 2, Episode 2 about our singles. Back. join you doing that um genius.com forward slash lady gaga (laughs) (laughs) what's worse genius.com or tv tropes oh no tv tropes absolutely yeah at least genius Um, provides a service (laughs) exactly there was like a core feature to genius that you like actually have useful i distinctly remember like about like many many years ago when we were chatting about this at some point you saying something on the lines of i will only ever look up lyrics on genius.com and i will never look at the the lyric ex- expla- explainers or whatever yeah no rapgenius.com is a bad website but it also looks better than fucking a to z a- lyrics a- and z every lyrics. other <laughs> oh fuck that God. fuck that